on a new season of the Bellator Christie podcast, I discuss 10 books that have been influential to me. Join us on this new season of the Bellator Christie podcast. You are listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast, brought to you by bellatorchristie.com. Now join your host, Brian Chilton, as we enter the arena of ideas. Coming to you from beautiful Westfield, North Carolina, on this uh, first recorded podcast from Westfield. This is the Bellator Christie Podcast, where we are taking up the sword of Christian theology and the shield of classic apologetics, while taking Christian truth into the arena of ideas. This is your host, yours truly, Brian Chilton, and we thank you for joining us today on the podcast. Just want to say a few notes of thanks to everybody who has helped us in this move. The office where I will normally record these podcasts is still under construction, if you will. We're putting up the bookcases, waiting on getting the the table that goes in there, and the office chair. So I'm having to do this out in the dining area, so if you hear a bit of an echo, uh, that's where that's coming from, but hopefully here in the, in, uh, hopefully the next few weeks we'll have that, um, we'll have, we'll have that, uh, office ready to go and it may, it may even record it from the church office. I don't know what we'll, we'll, uh, this is going to be a work in progress. And one thing I have learned, uh, my wife and I have been married for 15 years. And one thing I have learned is that it's amazing how much stuff you can accumulate over 15 years. And so uh, people are asking us, have, have, you, have you moved? And the answer is always, uh, well, yes and no. <laughs> We've got the essentials moved. We've got uh, the core things we need moved. But uh, to get completely moved uh, over, this is going to be a work in progress. It may even take us a couple of months to get everything in place as we, uh, as where we want it and everything like that. So uh, pray for us as we make this transition. This Sunday will actually be the uh, first Sunday where we start the new position at Westfield Baptist Church. We're excited about that and hope everyone else is as well. And so uh, we're excited to see what God does in this new venture together. So uh, pray for us as we uh, start this new phase of ministry and continue to pray for the people at uh, at Westfield and uh, and also for the people uh, we left behind over at Huntsville Baptist Church. We know that uh, God's going to direct them as they, they uh, enter into their next phase of ministry as well. And so uh, we appreciate your prayers. We appreciate your patience as we had, we took the summer off, and uh, or as I took the summer off. Uh, use we, <laughs> but I mean I. Uh, but I took the summer off as far as podcasting, except for uh, doing a few uh, flashback episodes and um, um, just a few updates here and there. Uh, but uh, hopefully now we're back on uh, regular schedule, and so uh, we're going to try to bring you the best as uh, as the best as I can uh, weekly podcast dealing with the issues of theology and apologetics, and um, 
go from there. We'll see what the Lord leads us on this exciting new season of the Bellator Christie podcast. We want to start off the podcast today uh, actually by a request. Uh, Dr. Amy Downey, uh, Waxahachie, Texas, she sent me a challenge on Facebook, on social media, to uh, list, take seven days to list uh, seven books that have been influential to me. And this has been a very interesting uh, task. Uh, obviously, the Bible is, is an influential book that, that we add, but, but this challenge is not just for the Bible. This challenge is for extra-biblical books that have challenged you in your walk and have been influential in your walk with God and walk with Christ. And uh, the seven-day challenge is actually going to, uh, with the seven-day challenge, I'm probably actually going to list eight books or maybe nine books. But I thought about uh, a good friend of mine, Mark Ragsdale. Uh, he, he's in a Ph.D. program with me up at Liberty. He asked uh, to maybe cut a podcast on uh, or, or something of the sort, listing out the top ten books that have been influential to me. And I thought about that and actually was going a different direction for this opening podcast uh, of the new season, but I thought that would actually be a great way of starting out the podcast, uh, talking about the uh, books that have been influential to me. Uh, as my son gets ready to, to start up the books uh, with his new school uh, this Monday, and, and as I've been actually cracking open the books, getting ready for the classes I'll be taking this fall, um, this is a good time. The, the people down in, uh, in, where I, where in Yakin County where I was, they're already in school. Some, some of you may be listening to this, and you've already started school. Some of you may be starting next week. So this is actually a great time, an excellent time, to list out uh, 10 books. It's actually going to be a little bit more. I'm going to cheat on this. I'm going to fudge on this a little bit. It's, it's actually going to be probably more like uh, uh, 11 or 12 by the time we get finished with this. But I want to list out the top 10 uh, books uh, or genres of books, if you want to call it that, you know, looking at a particular author. Uh, but we're going to look at uh, the top 10 works that have been influential in my life and in my Christian ministry and in, in the realm of, of apologetics and theology. Uh, the, the 10th edition, and I'm going to go in, in a particular order, uh, going from 10th to 1st, uh, you know, Numbers five or number six through ten you know may not be in necessarily the order that i have it listed uh but the top three or four uh listings uh, i have on here are in order as as far as how influential they've been to me and we'll get to that in a few moments but starting off with number 10 uh thomas odin this is a newest entry to my list and this is thomas odin's classic christianity classical christianity uh, I, I stumbled upon this actually in a Molinist group that I'm in on online on Facebook, and someone had mentioned the works of Thomas Odin. And uh, Odin had passed away, uh, I think, in the 2000s sometime. I'm not exactly sure the date that, of his passing. But he left behind a, a wonderful three-volume work, taking uh, a three-volume theological work and... Um, this has actually been condensed down, luckily, to a book called Classic Christianity. And he actually said, and his focus is not to say anything new in regards to theology, but to actually focus on early Christianity and the Christianity of the early church fathers. And what he does is he actually comes down to 
uh, he, he himself is a Wesleyan, uh, but he but he comes down to a Molinist type of theology, interestingly enough, and so he lists out in um, in, in his theology work, focus uh, focusing on the attributes of God, the different aspects of theology, but he but he does this in an, in in, um, uh, in in a, in a genius way, and in, in, uh, it's it's one that shows great ingenuity. Um, I had never seen this done before, but he, he actually focuses on the triune nature of God, and then he focuses on the Father, and then, and then on the aspect of focusing on God the Father, he looks at creation, he looks at the divine attributes of God. Uh, when he gets to Jesus the Son, he looks at the work of Jesus, the atonement, uh, he looks at issues with the atonement, issues of soteriology, and then when he gets to the issues of uh, of the God, the Holy Spirit, he talks about uh, pneumatology. He even goes into eschatology, looking at the end things about how God, the Spirit, is bringing things uh, to a grand conclusion in the end. So this is a very interesting work, and uh, this is one I highly recommend. To you, uh, it's it's an older edition. It's it's in um, I think it may be the eighties, nineties. I think the updated edition is about ninety eight. But it's a great theology book. It's a it's a thick one, but I think he does a great job, and I think he handles many of the issues, um, many theological issues with great fairness. Now he's not is going to be as up to date as some of the other theology books that you find. So he may not focus on. In fact, I heard a, a critique about this that he he doesn't focus on open theism. He doesn't focus on some of those things that uh, the church is uh, facing today. Granted, but he does, I think, give a great overview of of classical Christianity, and his, this is a work that I highly recommend. Number nine on my list is is a classic, and it's Saint Augustine's City of God. Uh, this is another thick thick book, and you know you need to take time to read through this. And, but I have to say, I find this book very in, interesting because he, especially the parallel that he shows or the contrast he shows between the city of God and the city of man. And this, this needs to be on every Christian's read, read, must-read list. Um, some of it may be a little bit complicated. I'll grant you that. Some of it may require a little bit of historical investigation and digging to see exactly what he's talking about. But this is a classic work. Also, I would recommend his book, Confessions. It's a smaller book, but he talks about his uh, his uh, changed, uh, his transformation, becoming a Christian. And so uh, while I don't agree with Augustine on everything, I, I, I do find myself in agreement with him on most things. And so I would uh, I would encourage you to pick up a copy of St. Augustine's City of God. Penguin Classics have it uh, at, at a very reasonable price. And so this needs to be on your bookshelf, uh, St. Augustine's City of God. And I would also add his book, uh, Confessions. Number eight on my list is a two-volume work. Uh, and this is one by Craig Keener. About everything I have read from Craig Keener has been good. Um, it, it, it has been really good. Uh, but his two-volume work, Miracles, The Credibility of the New Testament Accounts, is 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 a great, great book. It, it's very inspirational. It's technical in some areas, but it's very inspirational because what he does in this two-volume work, it took him two books to be able to, to compile the information. And my understanding is, is that he had a lot more he could have added. What he does is he takes a look at the miracles as described in the New Testament, and he looks at modern miracles and shows that God is still moving. 
God is still acting. Uh, God is still healing. He's still performing miracles today as he even did back in the New Testament days. And so what he does is he builds an apologetic on the credibility of the New Testament by seeing the miracles that God does now, saying that if God is doing these miracles now, then we can believe that he he certainly did miracles and even greater things uh, back in the ministry of Jesus. So this is a this is a book that I highly recommend that you get. Uh, Craig Keener's two volume work, Miracles: The Credibility of the New Testament Accounts. It may take you a while to get through it. Um, it did me anyhow, but it's it's well worth the time and effort to uh, to spend on this work. So it's excellent work indeed. Number seven is Gary Habermas's and uh, J.P. Moreland's book, Beyond Death. And let me just say that there are many other books that could have been added to this list. In fact, I think uh, um, the work that uh, Habermas has done, anything that, that Habermas has written pertaining to the resurrection of Jesus is one that I think needs to be on your to-read to list. Um, the Historical Jesus, I think, is a wonderful book. I actually have a signed copy of that book, and uh, uh, that, that's, that's a really wonderful read, and I highly encourage you to get that book as well. But Gary Habermas and J.P. Moreland, I think one of their, uh, in my opinion, the, their combined magnum opus is the Beyond Death, Exploring the Evidence for Immortality. Um, this book looks lays out a strong case that there is an afterlife, that there is life beyond death. And they even show evidences through near-death experiences and through uh, things that have happened, interesting things that have happened that can, that can be corroborated on this side. For instance, there's a story of a woman who had a uh, near-death experience as she's going to heaven. She's She's going up through the hospital, and she tells the nurse who also had a near-death experience but was in denial because she thought maybe she was hallucinating or something. But when this woman reported to her nurse in Seattle, Washington, as she was in the emergency room and had literally died, she said that as she was going up to heaven, she noticed a blue shoe on the third floor of the hospital. And the nurse took it upon herself to go up to the third floor, and sure enough, she found this blue tennis shoe right in the exact spot where the woman said she had seen it. Now, this was an area where she couldn't, uh, where no one could have seen it from the road. And, and in addition, this was the first time that, the, that that woman had ever been to Seattle, to the hospital in Seattle where this, this uh, incident took place. So there are many other stories like that that corroborate the idea that there is definitely life beyond the scope of this mere mortal life. Uh, John Burke also has another great book on, uh, uh, on, on the afterlife. The, the, the title of the book eludes me right now. Uh, if you're on social media, if you contact Jason Klein, he can, he can direct you to that book. John, uh, John Burke, he, he has a marvelous book there, but uh, I can't, like I said, I can't, the name will lose me right now. But anyhow, uh, Habermas and Moreland, though, their book, Beyond Death, is an excellent read, and I highly recommend that to you. Number six on my list is Millard Erickson's book, Christian Theology. This is the book I had in seminary at Liberty and is a very, very good book. Now, this is, I'm going to give you a little word of warning, this is a seminary read for a reason. He goes in-depth on a lot of different issues, but I think he's fair. I think he's balanced. I don't agree with Erickson on every detail. 
I don't think you have to agree with a theologian on every detail to recommend his book. But what Erickson actually, even though he calls his soteriological model moderate Calvinism or mild Calvinism, he actually comes down on the side of, of Molinism. And this was the first time I had, uh, outside of the works of William Lane Craig, this was the first time I realized um, that there were other models out there outside of just Calvinism and Arminianism. And, um, and so Erickson, I think, lays out a good defense showing that God can be sovereign and humans can be free at the same time. And he, and he goes into a lot of other details, a lot of other theological issues than just that one. But this is a, this is a great read. I highly recommend this one to you. That, again, is Millard Erickson's book, Christian Theology. Uh, whenever I was going through seminary, we read the second edition, which is good. But I picked up a copy of the third edition, which is the latest edition, and so I would actually recommend the third edition to you. Uh, the second one's good, but I think the third one may be a little bit better uh, because he deals with some extra issues in uh, in the textbook. So uh, that, again, is a good book I highly recommend. Louis de Malena, number five, Louis de Malena's book, On Divine Foreknowledge, Part 4 of the Concordia is a must-read, I think, if you're interested in this whole issue about divine sovereignty and human freedom. Uh, Louis de Molina, if you're interested in Molinism, you need to go to the source. And this is what I tell everybody. If you're interested in John Calvin, read John Calvin. If you're interested in Louis de Molina, read Louis de Molina. If you're interested in Jacob Arminius, if you're interested in Arminianism and Jacob Arminius, go read Jacob Arminius because one thing I've learned is that in all these debates in which we find ourselves, many times we make the theologians say things that they do not actually say. Okay, so Arminius is not a heretic. He, is actually, he actually has a lot more in common with Calvin than one might imagine. And so in Molina, it's the same way with Molina. A lot of people say, well, Molina says this or Molina says that. Go to the source. Now, his book on divine foreknowledge is going to be a complicated read. I'm going to warn you about that. But um, if you want to know from the source what he says about middle knowledge, and if you want to know from the source, you can pick up this copy and and even look through the glossary in back and um, and see the, or concordance, I mean, look through the concordance and see the areas that he deals with mental knowledge, and you can go to those sections and read those sections. He actually gives a great defense in the book for mental knowledge. So if you're interested in the concept of mental knowledge, I would highly recommend you have this book on your shelf. Once again, Louis de Molina's On Divine Foreknowledge, Part 4 of the Concordia. And the Concordia is like uh, Thomas Aquinas's Summa Theologica. It's, it's a big work. Uh, number four is Ken Keithley's book, Salvation and Sovereignty, A Molinist Approach. And I also have to add Norman Geisler's Chosen But Free. Uh, Ken Keithley, you know, I was on the fence about Molinism, and uh, I was actually leaning towards a subsector of Molinism called congruism. But Ken Keithley's book, Salvation and Sovereignty, is what sealed the deal for me uh, to, to, be, to, to come out and just say flat out, I'm a Molinist. Uh, his book, Salvation and Sovereignty, A Molinist Approach, is an easy read. He is, 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 is a smaller book, and he lays out uh, concisely, I believe, what the, what the Molinist theology is all about. So this is a good read. Norman Geisler's Chosen But Free also 
uh, is a great read. Now, he, he's not a Molinist. He's a Thomist. And, uh, but he also shows the problems of having too strong of a Calvinism or too strong of an Arminianism. And he shows the problems of, of where, uh, and I don't even know if we want to call it Arminianism and Calvinism, uh, but, but a, a determinist ideology is, is problematic, and he shows that in his book. But also the open theist idea is very dangerous as well, is, or is, is, in my opinion, outside the biblical parameters. Uh, now, I have some friends who are open theists, well and good. Uh, but I do, I do think that Norman Geisler lays out um, a challenge to those who may, be become, who may be determinist in their theology or who also may be uh, open theist in their theology. Uh, and so there again, both of these books, no matter whether you end up Molinist or Utomist or whatever the case may be, or if you stay Calvinist or stay Armenian, I think that uh, these books will be good to have on your shelf to see uh, what the Thomist uh, mindset is, what, what is what is the uh, what the Molinist mindset is, and that way we can better uh, discuss these issues without throwing out the heresy card, and it seems like that happens quite a bit. Number three is William Lane Craig's book Reasonable Faith, and I have to add this: this again is a more technical book. Uh, he has, if you're li- looking for a more uh, layman friendly book, uh, On Guard is is a book. That, um, that could be added to that list. Uh, but here again, William Lane Craig does a great job, I think, defending the resurrection, a great job defending the existence of God. Uh, and also, it's in this book that he lays out his um, classic defense called the Kalam Cosmological Argument, uh, you know, which basically says that everything that has a beginning has a cause. The universe had a beginning, therefore the universe has a cause. And that Kalam, the, the Kalam argument shows uh, good evidence, in my opinion, that God exists and God is the creator of all that, all that exists. Now, does this, shows, does this indicate that the biblical God, as some people have critiqued? No, but it's an opening. It's a starting point to show people that there are good reasons for believing in the existence of God. Also, number two, <clears throat> number two, Josh McDowell's books, uh, Evidence That Demands a Verdict and a Ready Defense, really even more of the Ready Defense. These were two books that really influenced me greatly as I was looking for answers. And I actually started with this com- uh, compilation book called A Ready Defense and then gravitated over to Evidence That Demands a Verdict. Both of these books are great books. They're great reads. I would highly recommend them to you. And... Um, so th- this this lays out the evidence for the Christian faith, and uh, shows that there are really good reasons to believe. And so I would highly recommend these books to you. Now, before I give my number one book, the number one influential book, uh, this is a book that got me started on the venture of Christian apologetics. I want to give you some other notable mentions. I think Thomas Aquinas's book, uh, and and I nearly added this book, the Summa Theologica, is is a must-have. Um, now, you may not be able to afford the whole Summa, which I haven't purchased the whole Summa, but there is a, Peter Kreeft has written a book called The Summa on the Summa, and so this basically gives the essential works of uh, Thomas Aquinas in the Summa Theologica, and so that is, that is a must-read. Craig Blomberg, his book, The Credibility of the New Testament, is an excellent read. 
Uh, I picked that. I picked up that book during the time between the master's program and the PhD program. Read through it, and it's a really good book. Now, you may not agree. <clears throat> I, I, you may not agree with Blomberg on his view of biblical inerrancy. Uh, he holds a looser view of biblical inerrancy than I do. But uh, nonetheless, the information he gives in that book is really good, and I would highly recommend that uh, to you. Uh, there are many other books I can read. Oh, by the way, you yeah, have to mention this. J. Warner Wallace's books, Cold Case Christianity, um, all the books that he has written have, are really good. They're easy-to-read books. Cold Case Christianity is really good because it shows the link between Jesus and and the Nicene Council, whenever we have the documents we have in our possession um, and, and the documentary evidence that we have. So he makes a good, strong connection showing that there is not a, uh, that we have a, a uh, continuous chain from the early apostles to the church in Nicaea, showing that really the message of Christianity had not changed. Uh, it had not changed over time. It's the same in Nicaea, uh, essentially, that you see in the early church. And so I think that's an excellent read. Cold Case Christianity, I highly recommend that book. And there are many others that I could recommend. Uh, I may should have made this a top 20 list, to be honest. But to, to save on time and to save on my sanity, <laughs> I just listed the top 10. And so now I want to list to you the number one book that has been influential to me. And this is not the most technical book around. It uh, may not even be the most academic book around. But it is, it is a book that set me on this quest. It set me on this path of Christian apologetics. And it's the book was, this book was actually made into a movie uh, recently and was a good, great movie. In fact, one of the greatest, I think, uh, apologetic movies made in recent years. And this book of which I speak, is none other than Lee Strobel's The Case for Christ. And I had to put it number one on the list because this was the first apologetic book that I had read. It captivated me. I couldn't put it down. Before reading this book, I really wasn't much of a bookworm, to be honest. But uh, the evidence that he laid out from several different scholars was is really good. Now, some people will say, well, was this his quest or was this an investigation he did after the fact? It doesn't really matter because the truth is the truth and the facts that he lays out in this book is really phenomenal. And so I highly recommend to you Lee Strobel's book, The Case for Christ. It's an excellent read. It's one that set me on this path of Christian apologetics, and it will be very beneficial to you as well. In fact, this is the book that I normally recommend. If someone's interested in apologetics, I normally recommend this book as a starting point for them. And what this book actually did is it uh, got me interested in apologetics, but it also gave me resources like a Gary Habermas, like a William Lane Craig, like some of these other fellows, like J.P. Moore and many others, to, to, to let me know that there are guys out here who are defending the faith. And so what I did is I went from, uh, J, from uh, A Case for Christ over to A Reasonable Faith, over to some other books uh, by these scholars. And so this was a really influential book to me. I highly recommend you pick it up if you don't have it already. Well, we thank you for joining us on this uh, first episode of the new season as we're here in Westfield, North Carolina at Westfield Baptist Church. May God richly bless you, and remember, as always, the truth shall. The views expressed on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of BellatorChristi.com or its affiliates. 
Bellator Christi podcast is a production of bellatorchristi.com and is protected under Creative Commons copyright. All rights reserved. The theme song is Crucified, written by John and Kayla Lemonese, performed by Crosby Lane, and produced by Mansion Entertainment. Be sure to visit bellatorchristi.com and subscribe so that you can receive all the articles and podcasts in your inbox for free. Catch us on iTunes, TuneIn, and Stitcher. For Brian Chilton, this is Burl Childers saying God bless, and we'll see you the next time as we enter into the arena of ideas. Crucified.